The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're still plugging away through the Gospel of Luke. We're getting, honestly, quite a ways through our summer. Uh, We have a couple more chapters left to finish up. But today we are concluding one of Jesus's probably more famous sermons, and it's the Sermon on the End Times. And it's taken us three parts, or today's at least the third part, to get through all of the content. But it's important for us to realize as Jesus concludes this sermon... He's wanting his disciples, whom he's teaching on the Mount of Olives, he's wanting them to know how to live at peace while they wait for his ultimate return. Okay, he's saying, hey, in a few days I'm going to leave, but I am coming back. When I come back, that's the end. But there's a way for you to live at peace while you wait. So I think we need to listen intently today and figure out how we too then can live in peace or at peace as we wait. I think that's something that we all want And then once again, Jesus reminds his disciples of the importance of being ready. Hey, you've got to be ready for my return. I don't want anyone to be caught off guard. He's talking to his disciples, but that is true for us as well. Jesus wants us to hear these words, not to become terrified, not to try to figure out the exact date or time, but instead to make sure, make sure that we're ready. Make sure our hearts are ready for his return, that when that trumpet sounds and the heavens part and Jesus comes back and as he calls himself the Son of Man, as we stand face to face with the Son of Man, none of us, none of us who have heard these words are going, oh, I didn't know. I wasn't I wasn't ready. I just I need a little more time to get this figured out. No, this is this is the warning. This is the time to get ready. And Jesus wants his disciples to be with him in eternity, just like he wants you and me to be with him in eternity. So he wants us to be ready. Let's wrap up this section in Luke chapter 21. We'll read verses 32 through 34 first. Truly, I tell you, says Jesus, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, if you're not with us last week, it's fine. But you have to realize that what he's talking about here is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. This generation, this current generation, will see what will happen in their lifetime. Now, they may not all still be alive, but this generation will still be around when the temple is destroyed. We know because we've lived it. We know that happened in 70 AD. So Jesus's words are accurate there in verse 32. Verse 33, heaven and earth will also pass away. Jerusalem's not the only thing going away. Heaven and earth. And you're like, whoa, 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 where are they going? Well, that's Revelation 21. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, Heaven and earth, they will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This truth, the logos of God, this truth, these words, they will not pass away. They will not be destroyed. They will not be replaced. They are eternal. The word of God is our anchor point. It's what we can cling to. Two, it is where we trust in absolute truth, that what the Bible says, it says, and what it says is true. That's our anchor point. My words, they will never pass away. Verse 34, be careful though, be careful. Give care or your hearts will be weighed down. Pay careful attention to your heart. And the weight that this world will pile upon it. I just wonder, church, do any of you feel burdened? Do any of you feel heavy? Because the weight of this world, life, 
is hard. This world is heavy. And Jesus says, be careful, give care. In this case, give care to your heart. Make sure you don't get sucked into the junk of this world. It will feel like heavy weights burdening your heart. If you allow yourself to be consumed with this world, it will take its toll on you and on your heart. This is normal. This happens to most people, but that does not mean it's good. Just because it happens to most people, just because many of you listening today are thinking, okay, yeah, I I do feel some of that weight. That doesn't mean it's good. We need to ask the Lord to help us. That's why Jesus is saying, be careful, give care to your heart. Make sure you're relying on me because this life and this world, it's heavy. It's difficult. One surefire way to ease the weight of this world, though, is to make sure you're not living for it. Make sure you're not living for the world. Instead, live for eternity. Instead, live for what's to come. Live for the future. This is a sermon on the end times. This is a sermon on what is coming. Eternity, the promised reward that God gives to those who are faithful. That is what's coming. Live for that now. Live in such a way now as to look to the future, not in this life. What you have coming is so much better. This life is just a blip. James calls it a mist or a vapor. It's just a blip compared to what's coming, compared to eternity. So live now for what's coming in the future. It will radically impact the way you see and do life. That mindset, that mindset will radically impact the way that you see life and the way that you do life. Jesus will go on with some obvious signs that you're not living for eternity. If we're supposed to do that to ease the weight of this world, here's some obvious signs that you're not living for eternity. Because you've been weighed down, continue with verse 34, you've been let, weighed down with carousing, okay? It's not a word we use a whole lot. So I actually did kind of a deep dive on this, carousing. It's in the Greek, it's drunken partying. That's, that's what it is. You've got to be drinking and you're partying, you're, you're living it up. But specifically, this is very interesting, specifically the word refers to the hangover headache you get after drunken partying. So that becomes a weight upon you. Do not be weighed down by this drunken partying. Then the next word is drunkenness. You're going, how is that different? Well, I think there's two different things. There's living for vivations. You're, you're living for the, the, the moment. You're wanting to celebrate and to party and to try to make this life and this world fun and exciting. And you, then what happens is the next day you wake up with a splitting headache. Yes, there's some moments in there that are probably pretty fun. That's the carousing. But the drunkenness, now while it doesn't say this, I think that's when you go off by yourself to drink alone. There's no longer a party. What you're doing is you're trying to numb this world. You're trying to escape. And it's interesting that Jesus would put these two things back to back. I think he's saying that, hey, oftentimes the things that we try to employ to make the burdens of this life easier actually in themselves become burdens. They become heavier weights upon us. And maybe that's you. Maybe this life, maybe this world is just too much. So you're trying to figure out ways to numb or you're trying to figure out ways to overdo and excite and make it worth something. Or maybe alcohol has nothing to do with you. Maybe it's just the anxieties of life. Literally the cares 
of life. This isn't necessarily talking about a medical anxiety. This is saying there are cares of life that become very burdensome. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. What are the cares of life? What are the weights of life that that bring us down? Well, if any of you have ever struggled with financial concerns, that becomes a weight. That's a care. I I can't go to sleep at night because I'm worried about how these bills are going to get paid. I'm wondering where this next paycheck is going to come from. I don't know how to get through this next month. Those are weighty, burdeny type situations. The financial concerns of life are a trap that will close around many relational concerns. Whether that's someone you're struggling to have relationship with or whether that's that you feel like you have no one who cares for you. Either way, it's burdensome. It's heavy. And it's something Jesus says is going to happen. And you've got to be willing to address the weights and the burdens of this life, the concerns, our need for success. That's a care of life. I've got to succeed. I can't fail at this. How we deal with our failures is a care of life. It's something that we have to figure out how to deal with. And finally, a big one, a big care for many of us is the comparison game. They've got this. I don't have that. I I want this, but they've got it. Comparison is the thief of all joy, and it weighs us down. It's a burden of life. It's something that we begin to care about when Jesus says, you don't need to care about that. You're not living for eternity You're not thinking about what's to come. You're not focused on me and the reward when you're constantly weighed down with financial concerns, relational concerns, needs for success, concerns about failures, comparison, all of these things. And I could list so many, many, many more. I could list so many more cares of life, anxieties that stricken us and weigh us down. But I don't want to make that long of a list. Instead, I want to pause. And allow you to ask the question, what cares of this life are weighing you down? Maybe it's just one or two little things. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm doing okay. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not super burdened by these things. But then for others, as you do some introspective thinking right now, you're going, whew, my head's not above water. I don't see the hope. I I don't see the future. I don't see eternity. I just see the problems right here in front of me right now. And Jesus says, I want you to live at peace during this life. I want you to have that peace, but, but this world's like a trap. It's a trap for everyone who lives in it. Because there's going to be all these things that we care about that Jesus says, I just need you to care about me instead. I don't care about what your neighbor has that you don't have. Don't don't worry yourself to death over how successful you're going to be or the fact that you may have failed at something. Don't don't worry yourself to the point of exhaustion over these things because these things don't matter. This life is a blip. It's just a, a minor, minor piece of what eternity really is. Don't be weighed down and don't be burdened by these. We're all going to experience them. Everyone on earth will experience them, but Jesus wants us to know how to deal with them. Luke chapter 21, verses 35 and 36. For it will come on all of you, those who live on the face of this whole earth. The whole earth will be weighted down by these cares of life. But be always on the watch. And here's how you respond. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Pray for his disciples that you won't be around Jerusalem when it falls. Pray us as disciples that we will not be caught up 
in the deluge that is this life that wants to just wipe us out. Make sure you can escape all that. Pray that God will give you the grace to escape these weights. And then, and then at that point, you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. When I come back, Jesus is saying, I want you to be able to stand with confidence not beaten and bloodied by this world, but instead at peace, having allowed me to help you with the cares of life, to cast your burdens upon me. I'll walk with you and then I'll come get you. I'm coming back. I'll come get you. And then we get to go to the reward. We get to go to heaven. So don't let the world rob you of your faith and your hope in me. Don't let that happen. Stand strong, stand strong and stay on mission. Do these things, disciples, and you'll be good. And when you see me again, we'll rejoice. That's where Luke ends the sermon on the end times. But Matthew and Mark, they keep going. They keep recording more things that Jesus said, and they both recorded. So I don't know why Luke stopped short. I, I don't know. But Matthew and Mark both record what happens next. And I think it's important because it ties a nice little bow around this sermon that's taken us three Sundays to get through. Here's Jesus still teaching, just as recorded by Mark and Matthew. Jesus says, the end is coming, but no one knows when. No one's going to know when. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus says this in the sermon towards the end of it. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven. They don't know when Jesus is coming back. Nor the son. Jesus says, I myself don't know the date and time of my return. I don't know. There's one who does, but only the father. The father in heaven does know when the end will come. When the trumpet will sound, he knows, but no one else does. And I think it's imperative that we go ahead and share this because if Jesus doesn't know when this is happening, then no one knows when this is happening. So anyone claiming to have divine revelation, God the Father told me that Jesus is returning on this date. I would say that person is deceived because they're claiming to know something that God the Father didn't tell his own son that they have divine revelation beyond that of Jesus himself. It's hard for me to believe that anyone is going to have that and Jesus wouldn't. So when you hear rumors, like we talked about in week one, when you hear claims that Jesus is returning, take them very lightly. Stay focused, stay true, stay on mission. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. But I wouldn't take any declaration of this is the day and time, I wouldn't take it very seriously because the main point is no one knows. Matthew and Mark both record a parable as the conclusion of Jesus' sermon on the end times. And as a preacher, this makes perfect sense. I've just been teaching for quite a while. My disciples have been listening. Now I'm going to tell a story that summarizes everything I want them to know. A story to end this message and make sure that they reiterate the main point. Main point being, make sure you're ready. And so this is a parable that Jesus teaches to conclude his sermon. And Matthew records it in a little more detail. So we'll read from his version. Matthew 25, 6 through 10. Now, once again, this is a parable. This isn't literal. It's a story. So it says this, at midnight... The cry rang out. 
Here's the bridegroom. Here's the groom coming for his wedding. Okay, a little different than how we do it in our culture. In our culture, the bride starts the wedding. The first century in Judea, the groom started the wedding. When the groom was ready to get married, that's when the wedding started. Completely opposite of how it is for us today, but that's what's going on. And it wasn't until midnight that the groom decided, hey, I'm ready to go get married to my bride. And they shout, come out, come out to meet him. Now, who is the them? It's the wedding party. In this case, it's 10 young girls. They're the wedding party. And since it's midnight, since it's night out, what they have to do is they have to turn on their lamps and line the aisle for the groom to come down and receive his bride. Now, since it had been so long, they had all fallen asleep. All 10 of the young women whose one job was to light the way for the groom, they had all fallen asleep. And they were woken up by this shout. Then verse 7, then all the virgins, just translated young girls, all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. That was their job. They had one job, one task. So they all began to trim their lamps to get the wick ready, to make sure that it was lit. They polished them up. They made them look nice. They had just a few moments to get this done. Verse eight, the foolish ones. And Jesus previous in this parable had said that there were five that were wise and five that were foolish. Those numbers do not matter. That's just what he'd said in the parable. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, quick, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Whether they had used up all the oil or they never had any oil, more than likely since they were foolish, they never had any oil. They yell out to the five wise ones, loan us some oil quick. Our lamps won't light. We don't have anything in them. They look good. They're ready, but they won't light. Our lamps are going out. Verse nine, no, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, for both us and you. Instead, here's what you got to do. You got to go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So they did. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom, the groom arrived. The virgins are young women who were ready whose lamps had oil, went in with the groom to the wedding banquet. But then upon entering, see that last sentence, and then the door was shut. The foolish, the foolish young girls did something that went even beyond foolishness. They did something completely stupid. When they woke up, they tried to prepare their lamps to look good, but they could never work because they were missing the essential element. They were missing the oil. Their lamps were empty. They could never work. They weren't ready for the groom to come back to take his bride. They were not ready. When the time came, even though they neglected the very one thing that they had to do, they shout out, give us some of yours. And we might read this and go, why would they not share? If they had oil, why would the wise ones not share with them? And we think, boy, that seems awful selfish. But that's not the point of this parable. It's not to speak to the selfishness of the wise ones. It's to speak to the impossibility of borrowing oil from someone else. In, in any parable, we have to know what each thing symbolizes. And in this case, oil symbolizes faith. And you can't borrow someone else's faith. It wasn't as if the wise ones didn't want to give. They couldn't because you cannot borrow faith. 
Parents, your faith is insufficient to save your children. Spouses, you cannot save your husband or wife with your faith. They have to have their own oil. Their lamp has to be ready and functioning. Your friends, as much as you like them and as good a people as they are, there's one thing that must be present for this lamp to be accepted, and that is oil. That oil is faith. A transaction of borrowing faith cannot occur because it's impossible to borrow the Holy Spirit from someone else. It's impossible to claim someone else's faith and faithfulness as your own because it's theirs. It's their faith. It's not your faith. And we are all saved by grace through our living and active faith. Now, for those who have oil, for those who are praying, hoping, trusting, rejoicing, growing, believing, living in obedience, for those you have your own faith, your own saving faith, your own active faith, you, you are ready. Whenever that shout comes, even if it's in the middle of the night, you're sound asleep. Whenever that shout comes, you go, Boop, okay, I'm, I'm good, Lord. When you see the Son of Man face to face, you go, I'm good. Here's my faith. I've had it since this point. Yes, it hasn't been perfect, and I'm far, far from sinless, but I believe. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you conquered death and rose again. I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. And he goes, come on in. Let's go. But then to the rest who are still wiping the sleep out of their eyes going, I thought I had more time. Wait, 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 please, please give me some of that oil, please. I, 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 I want to come. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to do my job. I'm ready to do what I'm supposed to do. No, you missed. You missed it. You missed it. You missed it. You'd been warned. You, you knew what the responsibility was. You knew what it took. But you didn't take care of business when you could. And now, despite the fact that you run down the street to the store going, I, 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 can, I can fix this, I can fix this. The groom comes in and he shuts the door behind him. And those who are ready attend the banquet. And those who weren't, they're shut out. Today, the response to Jesus' message, his teaching on the end times, the response is to be ready. To make sure you have oil in your lamp. Not just a pretty lamp, one that you've polished up going, hey, I've, I've lived a good life. I, I look pretty good on the outside. No, it can't just be a pretty lamp. It needs to be a functional lamp. And in fact, I, I don't think Jesus really cares what the outside of the lamp looks like. He just wants to make sure that the faith is in the inside. He wants to make sure that it's real and it's living and it's active. He, he wants to see that. He wants to see a functional lamp. Oil is saving faith in Jesus. You either have it or you don't. It is that cut and dry. That is the line in the sand. Those who have it, they get in. Those who don't, they're shut out. But it's foolishness. It's the foolish ones who are left out. And I'm not trying to pour salt on the wound, but it's foolish to have heard this truth. Even today, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, that you need faith in Jesus to be saved. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but now you have heard it. And you have to choose whether or not you're going to respond. Are you going to respond by placing your faith in him or are you going to choose to wait and just roll the dice? Either way, you're responding. Either way, that is a response. 
And I want you to know, just as Jesus wanted his disciples to know, hey, I'm coming back. Jesus will return. Someday, I don't know when, he doesn't know when, but Jesus will return. Church, are you ready? Is your lamp full of oil? Cheerfully waiting that moment when the bridegroom calls out, here I come! And you light that lamp because of all the oil that's inside and you walk into the bridegroom's banquet with him. Are you ready? Yeah, this life can get long and it can get hard. And God wants you to ask him to help you live at peace in this moment. Live for the reward. Live for eternity now. And and that's not always easy to do, but he'll walk with you. He'll take some of those burdens upon himself if you'll just let him carry them. But always at the end of the day, what he desires most of all from you is your heart and for your heart to be full of faith in him as your Lord and as your Savior, as the one who conquered death and the one who brings life, life eternal. Faith in him is what makes you ready. Church, I pray that you're ready. Father, help us to see the grace that is your son, Jesus, to know that faith in him is what saves. And for those who are struggling right now with life and the burdens and the weight of it, I pray you come and lift that weight from their heart and replace that weight with your love so that their faith in you might flourish. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit would call them by name, that they would know your grace, that they would turn from their sin and wickedness, and, Lord, that they would live life for you They would live life to the full because of you. And Lord, that their faith in you would be complete. I pray, Jesus, that we would all be ready. So come and work in the hearts of those who are not, so that today might be the day where our faith is placed in you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.